Welcome to the International Teacher Podcast with your host, Matt the Family Guy, Kent the Cat Guy, Jacqueline from JP Mint, and Greg the Single Guy, bringing you episodes from around the world about the best kept secret in education. You got it, international teaching. Welcome to the show. Well, good morning from Mexico, and hello to uh, Kent, the cat guy, and Greg, the single guy in the Middle East somewhere, and I'm super excited to be here as a co-host for our first uh, cohort with James Jobert from South Africa, and he's joining us. Well, he'll let us know where he's joining us, and... And who is he? But I'm super excited to see you, James. Good Welcome, morning. James. Good morning, Jacqueline. Hi, James. Um, Thanks for joining hi, us. Kent. Uh, hi, Greg. <laughs> um, I'm uh, James. Uh, thank you for the introduction. And I'm joining you from Curacao in the Caribbean. So if you hear lots of birds outside, you know why. I'm so jealous. Curacao is, can you, for, for those of us that are geographically challenged, can you kind of give us a, um, a, a quick Wikipedia of where Curacao is and, and who they were and who they belong to? So uh, Curacao is also referred to as the Dutch Antilles. So if you can't find it in one of those drop-down menus when you're trying to uh, complete an online form, uh, if the C is not there, go find the Dutch Antilles bit, uh, bit at the bottom. Um, so it is a protectorate of the Netherlands, as far as I understand. And the currency here is the, the Gilder, the Antillean Gilder. And uh, it's very close to Colombia. It's a small island of, of close to Colombia. And... Uh, um, What's, what else is close to to here? Bonaire. Uh, I heard. I I've heard there's maybe some connections or uh, possible connections with Bonaire, Saint Lucia, etc. So it's a, it's an island, and you can drive from one side to the other in about uh, an hour. It's, it's a it's a nice spot. Beautiful beaches. I I assume this will come up, but what in the world do you do there in Curacao? Ah, so. Um, I am currently the head of school at the um, Curacao American Preparatory School here. And I started, I uh, came to the island last year and kind of started the position at the beginning of this academic year. And it's uh, it's great. It's a small school, which you know I love. Um, I've always had a thing for small schools in the sense that, you know, lots of community, lots of values. And uh, yeah, it's... Uh, we're wrapping up the first quarter here, so I am so happy. I think that first stretch is, um, yeah. All right, so here I have a question for you, James. We usually start off the show with a little bit of elevator version of your journey through international education and what brought you to Curacao. Oh, uh, okay, so I'm going to go back. I'm, I've been listening to your podcasts, and they're really great. There are, I just love the, the warmth and the laughter. And so listening to how people speak about how they got into international education. And um, you, uh, you both mentioned that, or two of you mentioned that you sort of started out around the 2000 period, just after 2000. And I went ding, uh, similar to, to myself. I, I headed over internationally just after 2000 and um, went to Taiwan uh, to teach there. And I was in Taiwan for 12 years, which is 
a fair bit, I think. Uh, after that, moved to uh, Vietnam, was in Vietnam for four years. Um, and Myanmar after that for four years. As you might know, Myanmar has been in the news for a while now, an interesting spot uh, with some of the developments and then uh, moved to Curaçao most recently. So um, South African moving into the international uh, um, teaching field and then started off in education uh, uh, in up 2000. Homeroom teacher, uh, ELA teacher, secondary, and then moved into administration uh, about 10 years ago. And uh, that's where I met Jacqueline. And yeah, that's, I was just going to say, that's where I met James when I was doing my um, Master of Educational Leadership. James was in my cohort in, in Mallorca, Spain. So we got to meet each other. Uh, in the summer times and, um, you know, enjoying the beautiful Spanish sun. And while we were studying to become, well, I was studying to become an administrator, but James was already a high school principal at that time. So he was, he was a perfect brain to pick all summer long. We were just like asking him lots of questions because he was in the job already. And uh, I felt so privileged and lucky to be able to study along with him. Can you verify something for me? I fly a lot on Emirates. Okay. I fly a lot on, on Emirates, long trips. And one thing that gets me really through that, especially coming out of the Middle East, they have these little bottles of Amarula. And it's very similar. If our listeners don't know it, it's very similar to Bailey's. And this is not really an alcohol show, but it plays a big part of my trip. And I was wondering if you could verify the story of where Amarula comes from. <laughs> is that the one with the elephant on the bottle yes and that's the key well, to somehow the whole story. i know about that <laughs> you should it's, it's pretty good so the story of the amarillo fruit is that it, it ripens and it drops and it ferments and so when it ferments and it drops under the trees the monkeys and sometimes the elephants they would eat it and they would uh, get quite comfortable uh, so there's, if you ever have a chance, go find some footage of monkeys and elephants who participated in the fermented amarula fruit, and Do you are think now. They have YouTube footage of this. Oh yeah, you can find. It. We don't need elephants or or monkeys. I think you got some footage from Greg and I out there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so james help us out here you're from you grew up in uh south africa tell us just a little bit uh where in south africa did you grow up cape town uh i am a uh, i you know when you move internationally and sometimes you you move a little bit away from your hometown and you're like eh, it's it's not that cool you you have you know, you have the reasons why you move and then after a few years you look back and you go oh i love my hometown um i'm a i'm a big uh, proponent for cape town it's a it's a lovely city i don't know if any of you have visited but uh if you have an opportunity definitely do it's a it's a, a big city with a small heart or no, that's the wrong way a small city with a big heart um <laughs> Tourism is not going to appreciate that. Um, it's a it's a small city and it's really beautiful. So, uh, James, how does someone become a teacher in South Africa? What what route do you go through? Well, generally, you would go to university and you do your undergraduate and you do your teacher specialization afterwards. Um, I I didn't follow that route. I actually I was in banking before I went into education. 
Um, so it was a bit of a uh, detour there, uh, a happy one. But um, you would go, you do your undergraduate, you specialize, and then you do your, te your teaching specialization uh, postgraduate, and then you get placed in school, and then you do your teacher training, and then you get assigned to a school, or you can go to the, uh, either the, uh, the national system or the independent school system. And so, James, um, you know, some of our listeners might be curious to know because uh, English is probably not your first language. Is that right? I speak Afrikaans and I speak English and and then a smattering of others. And so and that's what I thought uh, was so interesting that um, you were able to go internationally relatively seamlessly, I would think. Um, have you ever felt like uh, your South African citizenship was was um, difficult to convince people you you could teach in English? Because I know some of our listeners come from non-English speaking countries. And I think you're quite an inspiration for them to be able to have that trajectory all the way to head of school as a South African citizen. I wouldn't say it was a simple route, um, but you are correct. Uh, so many of us, when we've, uh, we redo the initial process of applying to schools, you would definitely see that little box that says it's online or it's in on the form and says, are you a native English speaker? And uh, uh, so I think it was in 96 or 98 that English was designated the official language of South Africa. And because we had 11 official languages before that for a period, which was a busy period. Um, so, so, but in terms of that, yeah, I think you will find that some schools are more reserved about hiring somebody that comes from a country that they don't organically see as a native English-speaking country. And so then you would just have to convince them in the interview that language doesn't necessarily equate to who you are as a teacher. Now, James, you love South Africa. You loved growing up and living in Cape Town. What prompted you to strike out overseas? At that time, I think a lot of my generation, I knew that at that stage, my cousins, my family, they were all, they were in Canada, they were in Australia, they were in the UK. They were, we all kind of spread out across the world. It was just the thing to do at that time to say, hey, um, step outside your comfort zone and go and discover the world. And so I, I was working at a fairly comfortable job and I, I took a sabbatical and I said, I'm going to go and do something else. And then as soon as I stepped into the classroom, despite my claims when I was a teenager that I would never be a teacher because I come from a teaching family, I just never stepped out of the classroom again. Um, and I didn't want to because it just, I, it felt like home. So um, I, uh, I just, I, I, I decided I'm going to go try something, and that something became the rest of my life. <laughs> so, and it, I, I happily so. I'm glad I did. James, can you tell us a little bit about your motivation for stepping into administration? I think that happened in Vietnam. Did you did you go into Vietnam as admin, or did you start out as a teacher and get promoted? So, I, who here has been to one of those interesting fairs where you you interview in the hotel room? on a couch next to the bed um, <laughs> um, at, at a hotel somewhere in Bangkok or wherever. Uh, and you try desperately not to look at the beautifully made bed, which just feels awkward in that interview. Um, <laughs> it really does. And, <laughs> from, from my perspective, imagine a single female walking into a, 
a male's a man's a man's hotel room, please. James, I was at the Shangri La back in like two thousand and five. Yeah. And I was coming from Kuwait. So I was like, I'm there to get a job and no one's talking to me. And the very last day, because it was really for teaching couples that year at that job fair for the ISS at the Shangri La. And I'll never forget it because I walked into the room and he wasn't expecting me. The elementary principal brought me up to the head of school's room and there mm -hmm. are like bottles everywhere and, and, and cigarette butts and everything. They had just had a party. And after he interviewed me, he said, Oh, I'm so glad that I got to meet you. I'd like to offer you the position. And let me just apologize because everybody else that we hired at the fair, we had a big party last night. And you missed it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. But I felt really like I don't care if you had a party without me. I had a great two years at school in, in ISPP at the, in Cambodia. Oh. And, uh, it was one of those strange. Every time you have a fair like that, experience is different, right? And every interview is different. But it wasn't the maids hadn't been there. That's for sure. I have a fairly good idea who the gentleman was that you spoke with because uh, him and I worked together. <laughs> oh, um, boy. Okay. Small world. <laughs> he stepped in when I, 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 I said what a one position. I remember sitting next to him when he did his uh, introduction to the faculty. And even as an experienced head at that time, he was quite nervous. So, you know, it's, it's such a small world. Uh, no, I was just, I wanted to circle back to the question when we, we, um, we went to the fair as I was applying as a head of, a head of department and I didn't uh, intend to go into administration. Um, I just remember so well when I, they called us in because we were interviewing as a couple because that year, you're right, there was very much trends about hiring uh, couples and they offered me the position of uh, high school principal. Um, and it was unexpected. So I, I didn't think about going into admin, even though I had done some training for it. And it just, it just happened. And, and uh, the, the focus of my work and of my studies changed at that time. So that's, that's how I went into admin. So you went from uh, Taiwan as, a, as an ELA uh, teacher? English I was in English arts. language arts at that time, and I was the chair of the, the English department and the world languages uh, department. Yeah. Excellent. And then and then they offered you this um, high school yeah. principal. Oh, that I didn't know that. That's, that's yeah, really cool. Yeah, it just cool. kind of happened. James, these are uh, American school system, uh, British school system. What? Uh, just a quick question: the South African system does it resemble most the British system? The South African system is, is yeah, it's a, it's a copy of the British system because of the colonial influence there. The independent schools in South Africa, though, are very much influenced by the American system. So you have those two systems like influencing one another a little bit. Uh, so yeah, the, 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 the government system, certainly, and some areas. And it also de depends on the, on the, on the other provinces that you find yourself in, um, how the more contemporary American system has influenced the pedagogy and practices versus the British historical system in, uh, I would say, uh, schools that are maybe not doing as much research on developing themselves in terms of contemporary practices and pedagogy. So let me see if I get this timeline right. Was it Taiwan to Vietnam to Curacao? Did I get that timeline right? Taiwan to Vietnam to Myanmar to Curacao. Ah, Myanmar. Tell us about Myanmar. 
Oh, Miramar. What a lovely place. I have to say it was, it's a, it's a place that despite all the challenges was, was such a, for the heart and the soul. Um, and, and so challenging. Um, I just heard this week that the government has now nationalized or is attempting to nationalize all the international schools there. Uh, they're required to uh, bring in the, uh, the, the uh, Myanmar curriculum. They've canceled the breaks and stuff like that, international school breaks. So it's it's just another challenge that's rolling through because I'm still advising um, uh, schools there because, you know, you build your network and you have people that just need someone to lean on. Uh, so it, it was a beautiful place was and, 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 and a intricate and complicated environment. Um, was here there for four years. I uh, came in at a young school uh, that uh, needed somebody to kind of guide them through the accreditation process, etc., etc. And uh, American school, American international school with influences from other curricula and um, was really beautiful and worked with a great team. So yeah, after four years, the the political situation just got really complicated. Well, James, I remember watching. I think it was on your Facebook feed. You know, like we were seriously worried about your safety and and checking in with you quite often through through those rough times. And you kept sticking it out, and I kept thinking, "Oh my gosh, he's not getting out. He's not getting out." But you just you didn't feel comfortable leaving them behind. I couldn't. I, you, you have this group of wonderful people, you, all the stakeholders in your community that's depending on you. Uh, I, yeah, I think we had that home invasion one night with the army, and then my spouse evacuated. Uh, and for the last nine months or so, uh, ten months or so, I was there working by myself, trying to just make sure that we, everything was in place and we just kept on trucking. And as a, as a school, you, you, you do, you know, you, you find ways to, to solve problems <laughs> every time they get thrown at you. What was that uh, uh, phrase during the COVID that you have to pivot? Uh, I always, always joked at you, I, when you start pivoting like something from the exorcist, it's maybe a bit much. Um, but <laughs> but it, was a, it was an interesting time. And I'm happy to say that, you know, the, the, the kids and the classes and the teachers and everybody, they're still together. They're doing what needs to be done. Um, so that's, yeah. And James, I wanted to uh, comment a little bit about that. What you really are demonstrating, I think, for me, in my experience, is that the superintendent, the head of the school, the director, whatever you want to, whatever we call that position, depending on the school position, but the head of the school is really that, that liaison between the community and it may be government as well as the stakeholders in the school. So you're, you're reaching out to the, the city, the culture, and you are that pinnacle of the liaison between the school and the expat teachers that are there, the expat students and families that are there. And when I, I guess the point is that when I talk to people from the States, they say, well, you have a superintendent and you go to dinner at his house or her house. And I say, well, yeah, we're really closely knit because the one director that we might have at a school in international, for many cases, is comparable to a uh, superintendent in the states that has a district of schools, but they're not involved in the states. They're not involved in the liaison with the government or the, the people, the culture as much. I mean, they are in many ways, but they're not as much as they are as you are a liaison instead of just a head of a school. 
it's really important to know that. And that's one reason why we have to find, as teachers, we have to find that director, that superintendent that we really click with if we can, right? If, if they're the one interviewing us, it's a really great thing to, to know that from behind, right? I just wanted to share that with you. That's how I explain superintendents to others. I think at heart, education is about relationships, right? It's about people working together, feeling comfortable working together to be able to do the work that needs to be done. And so the, uh, the, the, the role of a, of a head of school or a director or you know, whatever terminology applies to, their, uh, to what needs to be done there, um, it's, it's, it's about the, you, you're the synapses in a sense of that community. You need to make sure that things are flowing. And with that comes a sense of trust and a sense of safety and, a, and, a, and the constant work of making sure that everybody feels like they're heard and they're safe and they, are, they have voice. And um, so I think that's really important. And it doesn't matter the size of the school, whether it's a school of 250 students and, and, and 50 teachers or 1,400 students and, and 190 teachers. It's the same principles apply. You, and I'm speaking in terms of international schools, not necessarily districts, but I'm sure it applies to that you just need to make sure that everybody can connect and that they they understand that we're working towards the same thing. And I know I, it sounds like probably like I'm getting on my hobby horse here, but um, it's really really important that it's it's safe, it's safe and it's healthy and it's um, uh, and that's when you're able to navigate those challenges such as coups or COVID or, or the things that uh, life just throws at you. I know for a fact that every superintendent at schools I've been at have been very important. And I mean, we're talking about when we arrive as a teacher cohort and we see this person standing there and they introduce themselves. Hi, I am so-and-so and you've been responding back and forth with them or with their staff, but here is your superintendent, like maybe standing at the airport or they're, they're gone, but they wanted to be there and their wife is sitting there or their husband is, is at the airport and they're in their stead. And you're immediately like, wow, this is crazy. I remember because many years ago, many hundreds of years ago in the States, when I was student teaching, everybody was like, oh my God, the superintendent's coming to the school. Oh my God. And there are people like running around like, oh my God, it's something amazing, like crazy. Like, I don't want to be seen by them or something. They're going to evaluate us. But for you and, yeah, exactly. And for you and for many superintendents, it sounds like it's very important for us as teachers to know that that's our connection that starts right away, right? So I'm just, I love hearing what you have to say as a superintendent. I think when you, when you work in, in systems, you have to look at higher, the, you know, hierarchy is part of it, right? We come from hierarchical systems. But when you, you have to be very active for me and in my practice anyway, I, 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 don't think hierarchy, while it's important to solve problems, when you have to do the work of the day, hierarchies can be sometimes a bit you know, counterproductive. Um, so it's, and it's important to know where to go for you know, answers and decisions. But so it's, it's important to, to uh, you know, stand there. And I was laughing as you were speaking because I was thinking all the times I stood at airports <laughs> with a sign. <laughs> Oh, really? So many times in the middle of the night, going like, "I hope, I hope this person looks like their picture." <laughs> um, Anybody but Kent. Any, I, if you're not Kent, I'm here for you. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I, I've seen that sign three times. <laughs> <laughs> and then the things that happen, I think it's hilarious. I, I, oh, there's yeah, the things that happen at airport pickups. It's hilarious. So, oh, do uh, tell. We love stories. Go ahead. Oh, really? Yeah, tell us tell us one of your funniest sto- uh, airport pickup stories because we've never right we've never been on that end of it we've always been the one arriving at the airport. When, when you so like let's think about for example like I'm thinking back of when we had uh, I was at a school that we had about 190 expatriate teachers. So uh, then you the season starts and you you get so let's say think of turnover right so what's a healthy turnover 12 to 14 percent. So everybody arrives at the same time because everybody wants to maximize their break. And so you start your airport runs at like 7.30 in the morning and sometimes you finish them 9 or 10 o'clock or 3 or 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock that night or 3 o'clock the next morning, depending on when the flights arrive. And so one of my favorite memories is when somebody arrived. uh, It was a family of, I think, four or five people, uh, it's a couple and three kids, uh, um, which is great. It was three o'clock in the morning and I had a cat, with, uh, a cat with specific needs. And uh, <laughs> I need cat. I love that. <laughs> the, the cat just had a traumatic uh, transition. And um, um, just let's just to say the cage wasn't clean. So we, we, <laughs> so we get to the hotel to book them in and the hotel refuses to accept them. Because of the cat. That's now four o'clock in the morning. And the hotel says, uh, no way. So uh, it's myself and my spouse. And so now you get on the phone and you start calling everybody and says, who can, who can take a cat uh, that's coated um, at four o'clock in the morning? <laughs> and, and then, and then you, you get into the city and you like, you go and you, you, you settle the cat in and then you head back to the, um, uh, the hotel, which now hopefully will accept the family. And so these poor people that have been flying and are so tired and it's like now five o'clock in the morning and you are figuring things out and you just, you keep on going and everybody's just kind of like, you know, you, they talk and roll and they solve, and they solve things. You, but sometimes you, as you're drinking a cup of coffee, you think back at that and you can't help but chuckle and think, Oh boy, um, the stories and the experience. And that family that family will never forget that arrival. I'm sure. I'm. I'm sure if they're listening right now, they're thinking, "Yep, that was exactly it. We were exhausted, and our cat was coated." I love that expression. It's so visual. Our cat was coated, and we needed to host our cat at someone else's house so we could stay in the hotel. And, and this, that's what happens in international international education, right? Sometimes you have these things that happen, and it's just your disposition or who you are as an educator or as a person that helps you survive in these environments because you go, ha, okay, we'll figure it out. So. I'm pretty sure I've showed up uh, at places covered coming off the plane myself. <laughs> so <laughs> I've had more than one hotel turn me away. <laughs> it's so awkward, right? Sometimes when you have to get off and plane, you've been flying for 27 hours and you are just not at your best. And there's somebody with a sign and you're like, oh, there's my superintendent. Let's just say hi. Let's put on that face. And then they insist on taking a picture because they want to tell everybody you've arrived. You're like, can you just give me like a shower in 24 hours? <laughs> well, the irony is that's when they take your national ID picture that's going to last you the rest of your career. <laughs> oh, smile. Smile. Just, just put a twinkle in your eyes. Maybe that'll make it work, even though you really need a shower. <laughs> 
Was that so, uh, it? Must have been hard. Your wife uh, evacuated, and you probably worked out your contract there for the next nine months. Did you take a break between that assignment and going uh, to Curacao? So I, at, uh, and this is the interesting thing. So I, at that stage, I said, "Well, I'm I'm going to move back to Cape Town." We had bought a house unseen in Cape Town during the time that we were in Myanmar. And um, so I was very excited to go back to Cape Town for a little bit and just see the house for the first time. Yep. And I said, well, why don't, and I said to my spouse, why don't you choose our next, our next de- destination? The last two ones that we went to was because my uh, job kind of guided it. The world is yours. Go on, um, do the applications, you decide where we go next. And uh, uh, my spouse said, we're going to Curacao, where they make the liquor. Um, yep. <laughs> yep. Um, the blue stuff, right? This is this the blue, is the blue show. show. That's right. That's this right. This is the blue show. <laughs> they make the, the Curacao, right? And so, so I was like, oh, cool. Let me Google that. Because I was still in I was still in Myanmar, I remember so well. I was I had to come home from Long I was on the couch with a glass of wine. So, and I was like, okay, let's, let's see. And um, so we, I went back to Cape Town. Uh, after I wrapped up my contract there, uh, kind of got the house in order. And then one day I got a call saying, hey, the ELL teacher didn't arrive this year um, um, from my spouse. And so I had a I had a chat with the principal and are you available to to um, uh, have a conversation? And I was like, well, yeah, well, I mean, I'm like, looking at my watch with the contractors in the back. And so sat down and my plan was that I would do a sabbatical. I would take a breather because it had been a few interesting years. Um, and I would just do consulting and stuff like that. So uh, that didn't happen. Uh, the, the next day, I'm in a, in, a, in, a, in a WhatsApp, or sorry, a uh, Zoom conversation with uh, the school, and they're saying, hey, our ELL teacher didn't arrive. Uh, would you mind, when you head over, coming just helping us out for a few months? And me being me goes, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> not a problem. So I, I kind of just worked with, I ran the Linear Needs program and the ELL program for, for six months. And then they were like, well, we really, we really like your style. <laughs> and uh, would you be interested in taking over as head of school next year? Um, seeing as we've seen your CV. I said, yeah, I, uh, sounds like a good plan to me. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I planned to take a break. That never happened. And uh, just went into the next uh, uh, phase of my career. So you you didn't know that the head of school was leaving at the time that you took the ELL position. I when I was again following your Facebook kind of stalkering, um, and then I saw that you were ELL, and I thought, well, that's interesting. Uh, but I would have assumed then when you announced that you were head of school that you went in sort of pitch hit for a little bit and then you were you were guaranteed i was thinking about it and so because i was i was talking to several schools across the uh, across the world and um we really liked it here we had done the emotional work of settling in and connecting with the community so and then when i said to them look i'm i'm speaking with other schools i you know i've listened to set up i might have to head to europe for this or something like that they said Oh, well, you know, I, I think we should have a meeting. So then I met with the current head of school and the, or that's done the current head of school and their board. And they said, would you be interested? And I said, oh, definitely. And so this, you know, that's the thing about 
international education, I think, as well. There's, there's these moments that happen, these organic moments that you see things, you connect with people, and then opportunities present themselves. And that's what that's what makes it such a, a rich, but also a time challenging <laughs> uh, experience. Kent, have you ever had that happen to you? I, I mean, I haven't. You know, you're just teaching one day, and someone says, hey, you want to be a pets? I mean, how... Oh yeah, absolutely. All the time, yes. And my current school tells me to go be a head of school someplace else. Uh, but uh, no, not very often. <laughs> oh, I love that. So, <laughs> can I go? Yeah, I think it's a great point that you make. Yeah, go. As a teacher, yeah, for, as a teacher. for our listeners, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you there, Greg, for a okay. moment. Greg's got us on some sort of raising our hand system. I don't. I don't really understand it. We're pointing. We're raising hands. We're using drums. I don't know what system we're currently using. It's like the Brady Bunch. It's, I feel like we're in the Brady Bunch. You know, do you remember yeah, the opening right. keep of looking the Brady at each Bunch other? and they would point to each other? All right, let's take a moment for a little commercial about how to get in touch with us. You can, of course, find all four of us at the itpexpat.com. That's www.itpexpat.com. Or you could also find us at email at internationalteacherpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Or if you're into Facebook, we have a new Facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash ITP expat, where you can find all kinds of inside information about ITP expat. You can also find us on Instagram at ITP expats. That's with an S. ITP expats is our handle. All right. And thank you, listeners. We have over a hundred countries represented by our listeners. And though we're not monetized, we are here for you. And we would like to thank all of you for listening. So let's get back to the show. All right. Sorry, Greg. I cut you off completely. We do the whole interview, yeah. listeners. We do the whole video on, on video, but we, we do the interview only audio to present to you. And uh, yeah, Kent keeps interrupting me. That's Well, I just points, wish one of us hit know? record. That's all. Oh, I was supposed to hit record. <laughs> hey, that was a great hey, show. Welcome to the International <laughs> Teacher Podcast. <laughs> I'm Kent the Cat Guy. With me here today is James, our special guest. <laughs> 36 minutes later. <laughs> I was going to say, to get back to the, without interruption, I was going to say this, that James, it's a very good point that you bring up, the, even as teachers, and I was joking about the being asked to be head of school, but the the real thing is that almost every school I've been at, I've had to adjust and go to a different position or think about it. And it's not always the first thing out of my mouth, like saying yes, but it's more like go home and think about it because they just asked me to teach this instead of what I was planning. And it's part of the nature of the beast because we really, you have such a puzzle to put together as a head of school to fit the I guess you could call it almost like the family together. Like we have to make sure that you have the right puzzle pieces in the right place. And a lot of these teachers bring a lot, bring uh, extravagant backgrounds and, and experiences with them that they can fit multiple places, hopefully. And some sure. don't, right? So it's very interesting. You brought that up at, 
and and it's a good story because it's not one you're going to hear often about going from ELL to head of school, right? Because you had such a rich background. But uh, yes, that being said. I think what happens is that sometimes you need to understand the, as you said, like what are the backgrounds of the people like that you bring? They, they, have to, they have so much value that they bring to the community, and if you know that that person is, has done that, you and, and and we know it always changes, right? Things pop up. We work in probably the most people-centered industry that I can think of, um, and uh, things come up. Uh, in that rich tapestry and so if you know somebody has done this and then you, you go and tap them on the shoulder and you say hey would you be interested um because a need has arisen uh, as it always does so that you uh, can 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 make that that puzzle fit together in the, in the most sustainable <laughs> happy positive way that you can because it can quite easily go the other way if you don't if you don't have the conversation. So I I have a quick question. What happened to your head of school? Because you you mentioned your head of school and the board got together and wanted to offer you this position. So where's the former it's head of just school? returned from a holiday in France. Um, so is is now retired and uh, living the good life. So um, he's bowling, bowling. <laughs> She's having a great time. So she had she had not necessarily been thinking about continuing or sort of your opportunity, your your arrival offered an opportunity for her to be able to it's retire. A, it's a very her. interesting situation. She was also the founder of the school and she had been the the, uh, the school is 30 years old this year. And so it's been 30 years of of dedication and work. And so she, the way that she phrased it to me, and she's a wonderful, warm, caring woman, is that she waited, she had waited until she found the person that she felt would bring that sense of community and warmth to the school because she wanted to find someone that she felt that she could leave that legacy to that would continue the 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 unique, the unique culture of the school, but also the community and holding them together in the way that, that she'd been working so hard. Uh, so James, you're just the second head of school at this school after 30 years. Exactly. That's amazing. Hats off to you. Hats off to you, James. Wow. <laughs> wow. Who, who are the people living and working in Curacao that are going? Where are these families from? There's, there are only two international schools on the island, but there's a, it's a, lo- it's a large school system, international school system. There's the Dutch school system. Um, and then there's the there's um, the independent sort of schools that, that kind of try and fill the gap between the Dutch school system and the um, international schools. But there's only two international schools on the island because it's not a, a massively large community. I, I can't remember exactly what, how many people on the island, but... Um, but it's uh, a, quite a diverse group of, of, of students and, and, and people. So, like, I, I was talking to the grade 12s the other day, and, and most of them speak four or five languages. And so they, they will speak Dutch, uh, Spanish, Papamento, English, and then another language, depending on where they came from. So it's a, it's a very diverse uh, community, uh, and it's a really interesting place to work. That bring that brings me to a question of where do your graduates go? Um, I'm presuming they're not staying in Curacao and doing university studies. They're probably heading abroad. So I've been a 
university counselor because I've worked at big, bigger schools and smaller schools. And yeah, is it small schools? You have to wear 15,000 hats and a special pair of shoes. Uh, so <laughs> I, uh, I was the college counselor <laughs> for, for the last 10 years. Um, and I worked with like a lot of like, you know, European schools and U.S. schools and uh, but mostly U.S. and Canadian and kind of maybe once in a while Switzerland and stuff like that. And here most of the graduates go to the Netherlands. They go to Dutch schools. So um, it was very interesting for me to kind of, because I'm also helping with college counseling, that I now work with the StudiLink and all the kind of Dutch schools and the requirements for languages. So it's been, so a lot of them go to the, about 80% go to the Netherlands and about 20% will go to the U.S. or Canada or the U.K. That's really cool. So is uh, I remember a couple years ago that Curacao had a, t- uh, uh, a team in the Little League World Series. Is baseball a thing there? Does your school play baseball? There are. But, uh, we don't play it, but we are close to a few baseballs, like stadiums. There's one big baseball stadium here, that, and I think there's another one. And there's two that I've gone past, and one is really modern. They love baseball sports. The sports teams here are really good. They compete internationally for a small island Sports are really big. Um, I'm smelling a Hollywood movie, like a la running. What was that Jamaican bobsled team? Like running. cool James, runnings. Can can we be talking to Hollywood and talk about Carasau's little league um, all the way to the major? We don't need John that, Candy. That We've got like Kent. A, Right, Kent can be in charge. We'll move him there. <laughs> on, on a lighter, on another note, I just googled yes. it. There's 150,000 people, 150,000 on the island, according to 2021 census. And I have one thing to add to this. You had mentioned that they speak multiple languages. I think, if as far as I remember, 100 years ago when I was there, it was the taxi drivers knew English, Spanish. Dutch and the Caribbean Creole of a sort of like the Curacao version of their own language. And it was really... Papimento. Yeah, Papimento. Sorry. Um, it was exciting just to jump into a taxi. You didn't know what language. So they'd just turn around and say whatever language you wanted them to. It was pretty cool. It was like driving with an AI. <laughs> so how was the visit there? Did you have a good time? Oh, I had a great time there. This is my story time, right? Um, I spent only. A I thought that was story there. time. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the segue, okay, James. That's on. great. Go on. It you wasn't know I was looking. I, I was looking for a short time to take a nap, anyway. So here we go. <laughs> Kent, you'll enjoy this one, Kent. After remarking about my shorts the other day, but I went to Curacao, and Curacao has this. It had back then. It was probably 2007. I went from Venezuela to Christmas and New Year's um, on Curacao for Christmas, and then New Year's I was diving in uh, Bonaire, right? Because the ABC Islands, the Dutch Antilles, they're known for, from what I understand, it's the partying on Curacao, the beaches in Bonaire, and the be- the, uh, the diving in Bonaire, and the beaches in Aruba. So when I was there, I spent just a few days, and the, when I arrived on the little puddle jumper airplane, and I was tired, and I was like, wow, I'm going to stay in this, this hotel at the Holiday Inn. And it was this massive skyscraper, well, 15, 20 stories, and on a small island. That's really big at the time. And I was like, wow. And I go into this room, and it's overlooking the Caribbean, and there's this big, like, porthole window, you know, big, huge window. And I go in, 
the bathroom's over here on opposite the window. And I'm like, well, no one's going to see me. It's just like ocean as far as I can see the ocean, right? Or the, the, the Caribbean. So I go in and just drop everything, go in and take a shower. And I come back out looking for a towel in, in my birthday suit. And there's this cruise ship going by at the same level as my window and all these people on the balcony waving at me saying hello, you know, waving through the window and I'm like scurrying. I'm like, what just happened? I mean, it went from ocean to, to this massive cruise ship saying hi to Greg. <laughs> hello. You were part of the entertainment. I think that's why I'm still the single guy. <laughs> they plan that trip every day for the same reason. They go past there for the same reason because it's part of their entertainment. <laughs> um, no, part of my, uh, my, maybe my ignorance of geography, uh, is Curacao, is it n similar historically to like the Galapagos? Is it part of that same island chain? What's, what's the Curacao? What is the history of that island geographically? I'm getting a lot of shaking heads. We'll just go back to the hand raising system. We'll just go back to the pointing system. What's <laughs> So geographically, what's uh what's the history of that island? I don't I I I I wish I could tell you that I I know the location and I kind of like, you know, I looked it up on <laughs> as you do on uh, on uh, Wikipedia um a long time ago. Um I think it's just, I, like I said, it was the, 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 the Dutch influence here is really strong, as you can, a lot of the language you can t uh, tell from. And I, um, I don't really know. I know the location kind of in terms of proximity, but I look at it in terms of, okay, where can I fly on a long weekend that I don't have to get a visa for? <laughs> Which is a and where is that? I'm curious. Like, do you, do you do a lot of island hopping in your free time or are you heading to the mainland? Um, well, I think so. Um, so this is now why, why you shouldn't ask me geographical questions. Um, if you go to the left, <laughs> you, you, to, <laughs> you turn left. <laughs> turn left. Turn left at the end of the street. And, uh, and, and um, Ecuador. And if you go in Brazil, and if you go to the right, you go to Aruba uh, and Jamaica. And so it sounds like a cocktail. And like that song. We'll have to have a <laughs> moment of silence there, won't we? <laughs> so, so as you go towards the mainland, you have Brazil, uh, Ecuador, Colombia, and then on the other side, <laughs> ocean side of uh, um, Curacao, you have um, the uh, Saint Lucia and all the, the islands that you can go to. And we don't do a lot of traveling yet. We haven't had a chance, but I, we're heading to Colombia next week. And so that should be. Is it, uh, is it tropical or is it too far south? It's pretty tropical. As I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm hoping a breeze picks up. Okay. Kent, it's very tropical. It's, it's beautiful, beautiful islands, beautiful blue waters. It's right. Yeah. Right. It's equatorial. It's, it's really a, a beautiful place to be. And let's let James say more about that since you're there. No, no. It's, it's what's what's interesting though that's that it's that it's very green close to the ocean, right? But as you go to the interior, it's uh, it's uh, semi desert. It's uh, uh, thorn, thorn bushes and trees and uh, and very barren. Um, but then you go through it and you get to this beautiful beach that's surrounded by uh, cliffs and it's the bluest bluest water you can imagine and the whitest sand. And you're just there for the day. 
Let's talk about the food there, if you can. <laughs> yes. Can you tell us what are you eating? And oh, and does Curacao run through their whole water system that you just open a <laughs> just tap comes. and you pour yourself a glass? If only, right? I, I don't know about you guys. Uh, as an educator, um, wine plays an important role in your life. Oh, Tom, um, I know so, that. <laughs> <laughs> um, we all have our coping mechanisms. Uh, one of them is a glass of white wine. And so the 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 the, the Blue Curacao factory is a very um, uh, it's a great place to visit because you can do tastings and stuff like that. And and all the supermarkets are stocked with a whole range of it. Um, and it's uh, it's quite yummy actually. Uh, I didn't I had spent uh, a lot of time drinking it before I came here, but once in a while I'll have some of it. Um, the food is really good. Uh, my favorite dish here is goat stew um, that I go every, like, you know, every second Saturday we go to like an open market and we'll sit down and I'll have goat stew and pumpkin cakes, which are so yummy. It's like flapjacks, but it's made with pumpkin and raisins. It's really, really good. And you queue up and you pay for it. And then some lovely lady will come over with a big tray of food and she'll just plonk it down there with some um, lime juice. And uh, that's my favorite Saturday lunch. I could use that right now. I can use that lady coming over and plopping that food down for me right now. That sounds delicious. It is. Yeah, with a glass of Carrasco <laughs> on the side. Definitely. It's not a wine we region. Do they grow grapes? They don't grow grapes around there. Too hot for grapes, I imagine. No, it's too arid. Yeah. It's too arid for that. But, uh, but wine plays an important role in Ireland, um, as it does on most islands. So I'm imagining that they're importing from Chile. Maybe Argentina, Chile, Argentina. right? Yeah, there's a um, the the currency here is the uh, uh, the florin or the FL, the, the Antillian Dutch Antillian guilder, and so it's a little bit linked to the to the the, the Dutch currency. So it's it's I wouldn't say it's, a, it's an inexpensive island. Uh, you, you a lot of people think that as you go to the tropics, it might not be. Uh, it's it's the prices are very much European, um, but you have a large selection and. and the, the supermarkets and the stores here are great. They import everything, um, great bakeries. Um, and so you have a large selection uh, to choose from. You just you just, you just pay the market price, as you do in so many locations. Yes. yes. You know, I'm guessing. This podcast sponsored by Carrasco Tourism <laughs> National Authority. You know, he's painting a beautiful, James, you're painting a beautiful picture. I, I'm i now Googling Fri- flights from Mexico City yeah, to Carrasco. Come right. visit you and your spouse. Please do. You have, a, you have a spare bedroom, don't you, James? <laughs> you know, before I'm going to jump in for Greg, it's, I know you want to speak, Greg. You you probably want to tell us in the story or something. Uh, listen, James, I'm going to guess that the Dutch probably had what? Uh, was it the sugar? Some of the agriculture, their interests historically there? There's the, what you say, they call the Landhäuser here, the, the land houses, the old historic buildings, which are beautiful, the old mansions. And so they had, as you go through the island, you'll see a sign saying Landhäuser something. And then that's the, the, um, the, the center of the, the farm or whatever had existed there before where they grew. Uh, um, and I, but it's, it's, I can say it's very arid. So, um, uh, I don't think sugarcane really would have worked. I think it's mostly um, goats and, and sheep and stuff like that that you can you can manage um, a little bit more easily um, because it, I, I would imagine it's a, it's a harsh climate for growing anything that's 
needs a lot of water. <laughs> but Carasso comes from oranges, does it not? So there must be a lot of citrus. Um, not so much. I think maybe cactus. Also, cactus fruit or something like that. I'll, I'd, we'd have to Google that. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm making a list of all the things I don't know about the island. <laughs> you didn't know you were coming on here for a information session. I should have warned you ahead of time, James. Please Google it. <laughs> you never know. All right, Greg, go ahead. Jump in. Yeah. Go. Yeah. I have a question. Let's get back a little bit towards teaching there. I wanted to bring up a good point for people listening to this is that going to work at your school and live on Curacao is not a vacation. It's the land of Curacao. It's blue, it's blue water and beaches and Island life. It sounds perfect. Your pumpkin cakes and everything. Oh my God, I want to go there. It's like a vacation. And I just want to mention that because you go to a job fair and you might have lines of people and you could probably respond to that too, but I see lines of people in front of the schools that come from beautiful places. Can you comment on that for us? Yeah. So those are, yeah, as we know, are called destination schools, right? And so destination schools are so interesting. And maybe I can add to that a little bit while, a little bit later in terms of like the admin, uh, admin application process, because it's an interesting process, right? I once applied to a school, a destination school for a principal position where there were 300 and something applicants for one job. Um, and that's not unusual. So, so as we as and that's such a valid point, Reagan, because it, you work hard <laughs> um, because location schools come with you know, there are challenges because you don't necessarily have the infrastructure or the access to resources or stuff like that. So you you go in and you walk down a beautiful street you know, trees and, and flowers, and you go into your school at 7.30 and you you have to fill those gaps for the rest of the day because you might not have um, uh, support for students with specific needs or you might have to fly to Florida to get that resource or you have to, et cetera, et cetera. And um, because most destination schools or location schools, as I referred to, are generally smaller, right? They're not big schools. They don't have 1,500 students or 3,000 or 2,500 students. So you work, you multitask as a teacher and as an administrator and as, um, you know, any member or stakeholder in that community. So it's always interesting uh, to interview because you will speak with somebody and if the first question that they ask is, um, how far is it to the beach? Um, that might not be the best first question. <laughs> <laughs> On the list of questions not to ask at an interview. <laughs> Maybe later, definitely, yeah. Um, uh, so, so, yeah, it's, um, it's a very valid point that you are you're doing the job of, of, of education and working with students and communities and quite often in, in spaces where there's uh, additional challenges because of the, the beauty of the location, that mindset of coming in and then saying, I go from, I, I work very hard when I'm at school, and then at four o'clock, I, I get in my car and we drive down to the beach and we take the, we take the beach chair out and we have a glass of wine on the beach to have that juxtaposition between the two. So it's different. You do paint a nice picture, though. <laughs> it is. There's, 
one of the things that I love about this location is that there's a clear definition of personal well-being. It's one of the things that's going to be interesting too because the culture and the people that are here say it's important for us to have quality of life because we have this location. So when we, when we switch off, we switch off. And that's new for me in, 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 in environments because I'm, I'm always working. Yeah, I think you bring up a very good point about international teaching in general. The work-life balance overseas is why a lot of us head overseas because we're not, um, yeah, when, we, when we're working and we're teaching and then we leave our school, we have that excitement, that adventure, you know, a trip to the grocery store can be an adventure or even getting home. You know, I'm thinking of some of our listeners living in Thailand and they might have a tuk-tuk waiting for them outside their school. I mean, all of that is part of why we move overseas is so that we have that balance and it's not all about work. And uh, I think you bring up a a very good point, you know, and and paint a beautiful picture of sitting on a beach with your wine glass and and getting to really enjoy your time off. (laughs) We have a very orderly group here today. We're very orderly. (laughs) The chair will now recognize James. Everyone doesn't have a patch on that. Um, <laughs> um, it, it, it's really important, I think, for me. But that's that's one of the things that you know you, you never stop learning and you never stop experiencing as you go through the the experiences that you you have in in different spaces. Um, here, I had to learn that I I can send a WhatsApp to the leadership team at six o'clock. Um, because it's frowned upon. <laughs> but by extension, because I was just thinking there's something to get done, by extension, I had to create my own personal space too. And my life was uh, enriched by that. And so it's, it's, it's lovely that you have the opportunity because of the culture of your environment that you're in and the space that you're in to also expand on your skills. And I hope, and I believe that that is part of what we do when we are in international education because the challenges are unexpected sometimes and the growth areas are also um you know you, you don't know where it necessarily might where it might happen but you will have the opportunity to to expand your skills and that's great oh i've got two questions mm. for you james i know we'll be mindful of time but two questions and the first one is do you have a police story it can be something harmless sort of fun uh, nothing too personal. And my second question I'll give you after your story. Uh, I think there, I mean, I, I, as you think about it, yeah, there were, unfortunately, the two stories I can think of, both of them are fairly sort of serious ones. But I can I can uh, maybe just touch on the broad strokes. That'll be um, for the Patreon yeah. account, so stay online, buddy. <laughs> uh, there, was a, like, there were times in Vietnam where, you know, uh, and the, the, the national police and the local police wear different uniforms. There's the green uniform and the yellow or the sort of like cream uniform. And I would just, there were times where we would have these panels with like six guys in green and six guys in yellow, eight o'clock at night around a table where you're trying to figure out what needs to be done because someone did something. Oh, Lordy. And it's usually, it wasn't, it wasn't staff or faculty. 
Um, uh, because again, we work with this rich tapestry of people, so you never what's good, know what's going to happen, right? And uh, I think in Myanmar was it was a bit interesting. Like one night we were we were fast asleep, and all heck broke loose, and suddenly there were uh, sixteen guys with machine guns in our living room. And one thing I can say is that you never want to have that conversation in your pajamas because you don't necessarily <laughs> feel empowered. <laughs> Holy cow! Wow. I'm in my pajamas. I'm in my pajamas. <laughs> Sixteen machine guns. Oh, okay. I really, you should have told me. I could have won something different. Um, <laughs> knock, knock, knock. There's a reason right there not to sleep in the buff. <laughs> I'm wearing pajamas from now on. Yes. Note really, to self: Wear pajamas really in Myanmar. People, when you are like in your pajamas. <laughs> Um, so my, the moral of the story would be is like dress for the job that you want. <laughs> <when> you <go. laughs> oh, that's brilliant! I'm brilliant. So yeah, that's those are my early like police stories. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for sharing your stories. And then my other famous question, or not so famous, is there are maybe three things. If I give you, if I let you have three things, what do you take with you from country to country? to sort of keep your comfort zone? Well, the first thing would be my spouse. Um, otherwise, they would have a lot of trouble. The second one is uh, art. I have a core sort of collection of art and things, just things that no matter which room you're in or which space you're in, it's a little bit of hope, right? It's a, There's a moment and a time and a place where you bought that or got that because it resonated with you. Um, and you put it up on the wall, and once you, you, you hang it up on the wall, it's, this is your new home. The third thing I would think is just is a good pair of shoes because you don't always know where you find them, right, because you need to you do so much walking. Um, you need that one piece of clothing that if you know that, you need to run the whole day. Um, that's important. Uh, so for me, definitely my spouse who is – been with me through all of these years and all the inter interesting experiences that we've been through. I'll be sure to mention that later when we finish this so I don't get in too much trouble. And then <laughs> the, the, the piece of art. <laughs> the piece of art. That, in pajamas. That like. I love it. And pajamas. Whichever pajamas. Or at least a machine gun of your own. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, no. A good question. The, there's a little bits of home that we take. Was it like, may I ask, what's yours? Yeah, we just and we just put it on our podcast that we did before this. We uh, put one up, and mine is ice and a maid and uh, some kind of of travel. I need to be able to get somewhere on my own. So whether there's a scooter in Vietnam or Cambodia, it might be a car or somewhere else. And each one of us. Can I, has can I make a suggestion for your zone. list? Oh gosh. I think you need to put a little front lighting on your list on one of your main three items that you'll need We're in the back future. To the video thing again. Well, I thought you were going <laughs> to. I mean, it is, I just feel bad that the place that you live does not provide any lights in front of you. 
This isn't a podcast, not a vodcast, Kent, okay? Once we go to TikTok or whatever, then I'll worry about what I look like. At least I'm, I'm wearing clothes right now. I have no pajamas, but I'm Which is an improvement right? to the last time we podcasted. Yeah, Very I'll give you that. <laughs> no, James, don't listen to him. Listen to the podcast. I was wearing clothes. It's just I had to, I was wearing shorts. <laughs> Gosh, I can't get over it. They have to make fun of me for something, and it, it makes Jacqueline feel more comfortable to be able to make fun of me, too. Right? And that's all part of the podcast. It makes us all feel better. <laughs> but, James, uh, you know, you you brought up art, and I immediately thought of my carpets because my carpets are my art, my art pieces that I hang up in every room and make my rooms feel the same despite the destination or despite the – different locations for 20 years. I've had the same carpets and they've moved with me from house to house. And it, it, it does, it makes a big difference. I think to a lot of our, um, to a lot of us who are career international teachers to have similar feeling homes, even though the location, the plants, you know, everything looks different outside the window, but inside, I always called it my sort of my bubble, um, but in a positive way, it made you feel like when you were coming home, you were coming to your home. So may I ask, what's the first thing, because I thought about the three things, what's the first thing you buy when you get there? That's, for me, I'll say like, it's uh, martini glasses, and, and of course a bottle of gin. Um, but I, 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 I always joke, for us, we always go on a, on, a, on a search and we say like, where can we find decent martini glasses? Because they never survive the trip. I usually have a beer um, while I'm looking so for something then to we buy. Find- <laughs> I, I, have to have a, I have to have a beer while I'm buying the SIM card or the local the beer glasses. SIM. It's usually, right, for communication, it's important to me. And then I drink a beer while they're getting the SIM card ready for me. That's important. Don't even get out of the airport without doing that. This is definitely the booze, the booze show. show. I think we should call this the booze show. <laughs> Kent, what's the first thing that you look for when you uh, You know, honestly, I teased Greg about it earlier, but I always look for lighting. I always look for, you know, you don't want to sit around in the dark or, you know, lighting can make a place look nice. And my wife is an artist, so we get the benefit of her artwork, not be- not behind me in this room, but in the other rooms we do. So I completely agree with the artwork. And Kent, that's important because everywhere you move, it's, I don't know about you, but I've moved to different zones of electricity too, like different plugs in different countries. And you can't always bring a lamp or something. Like <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's a local buy for sure. I mean, I would never pack a lamp or something unless yeah. it was really a special one that was hand carved or something from that country. I might even send that one home, right, to home home country. But that's a good point, Kent. I was going to make fun of you for it, but I've refrained. And um, <laughs> extension cords. That was actually one of my first purchases here in Mexico because uh, the apartment I moved into had, I think, a total of five uh, uh, plugs, um, you know, one mm-hmm. in each room. And that's just not very... Uh, yeah, very practical for modern day living. So I immediately went out to their version of uh, the dollar store. It's called Wally's. I went to out to Wally's and I bought about 20 extension cords that have the multiple prongs. 
and immediately set fire to all kinds of things because these things were so cheap. And every now and then that burnt plastic smell comes through somewhere in the house and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to go find what's on fire right now. Or when you you bring something that's really precious to you, like you know, okay, oh, I'm bringing my Vitamix or whatever, and you and you don't you don't check, you think or you, you the wires get crossed, pardon the pun, and you plug it into the wall and, and you switch it on, and the next thing that you the and there's that wonderful smell of smoke, and then half the building goes dark. And you're like, oh, yeah, I blew up an Xbox and like that. And, that. and and then I took it and I had it for like six months. I was like, oh man, my Xbox doesn't work. And somebody, one of my students says, just take it down to Muhammad down the road and he'll fix it. So they have this little shack guy and he was a little electrician. And he looks at it, he goes, I've never done this before, but I've done a PSP before. So he takes it and two days later he hands it back and the thing's working again. It's amazing what people can do locally with it. But you're right. Don't bring precious things that you plug in unless you know exactly what's going on with the voltage. (laughs) (laughs) They won't be precious for much longer. Um, (laughs) But that's one of the great things about like, so when you go out and you find that network and you build that network of the people who know how to do the things for you. Like as you go and you build, you work through your your group of, of uh, peers and and co- colleagues, and you like where's the best one for this? Where's the best one for that? And you and you kind of like you you build that network of comfort, or like where you can have things done quickly. And and by doing that, the next person comes in, you kind of hand that over to them, and you you build this system of reference that just gets passed on from person to person. Yeah. And some schools provide that actually in a, you know, a welcome package. I remember a a few of the great schools I worked at would hand you that sort of orientation package with, I mean, the simplest things like the closest tailor, the closest dry cleaner. And it just made a world of difference to your arrival because now suddenly you didn't have to go out looking so hard for certain things. I remember showing up at a school once and I've done this maybe two or three times and accidentally run into the wrong person though. And it might be one of those old curmudgeons that's been at the school for a long time. And he's like, Oh yeah, that's going to break. And don't do this. And don't, you're going to hate it here. You're not going to like this. You're not going to like this. So like, okay, nice talking with you. And I need to go and uh, organize my socks, you know, and, and <laughs> go somewhere else and find I, the positive I, people, right? I, I hate to – listen, I don't want to bust anyone's bubble, but, Greg, I'm pretty sure that you and I are the old curmudgeons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it, Kent. I'm working on it. way too much. There's way too much laughter for that. <laughs> oh, well, James, you've been – a lot of fun, and uh, I am so glad to get this opportunity uh, to meet you. And I want to thank you and actually and Jacqueline for JP Mint for making this happen. Thank you both. No thanks to Greg. We could have done this without him. But thank you before for both you, of you. But before you end us, can we give him the privilege of giving some last words and some sharing? Yeah, well, yeah, of you. course. You know what? Uh, you know, I'm just worried. Okay, that's oh, yeah. the show. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> I, I love the level of sibling sass on this. Like, uh, you clearly work together well. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, James! Though in all honesty, do you have some some words of wisdom, some kind of uh, last thoughts for people that that tune into this show and 
wonder about alcohol, maybe. No, I'm just joking. Uh, last thoughts about teaching internationally. <laughs> <laughs> the booze show. <laughs> um, well, hey, thank you for the opportunity to like speak with you. It's been so much fun. Um, one of the things that I noticed when I listened to your podcast is that there's humor and there's humanity and there's like laughter. And um, I, the, if there's any words of wisdom, which people who know me best will probably just laugh about, would say, I would say, it's like, remember, it's about relationships. It's about the, the people and uh, the, the connections that we make. You can always do the homework again and or redo the test, but it's about um, how that person feels when they when they finish the conversation with you. That's probably the most important thing. Uh, that will be the thing that I remember 10 years from now, not whether they got 70%. <laughs> here, here, James, here, and so, here. <laughs> so, and I, I, and I see that in this podcast too. It's about, I love that, that it's the focus on people. So thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you <laughs> and share a little bit. Well, I have loved reconnecting uh, last time we saw each other, I think was four years ago in a hotel lobby in Myanmar, having having a nice little glass of something and um, and getting to catch up since our uh, our time together in, in Mallorca. And it, it it has felt like no time has passed. I, I just love how instantly we can reconnect um, overseas, you know, with the, the miles apart that, uh, as you say, the relationships are are so key to why we continue to do this, why we continue to stay overseas and, and how we just keep adding to our family. Well, that is the podcast for James Javert in Curaçao. And wear pajamas in Myanmar. <laughs> hey!